Welcome to Superlative. I am your podcast host, Ariel Adams. In each episode, you will meet someone who has inspired or takes inspiration from today's wristwatch industry. Every week, let's dive deep into the world of crafting exotic timepieces from the people who dream them up to the people who dream of them. It's time to get started and meet today's guest. Hey everyone, this is Ariel Adams with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Christophe DeVos. He is an artist, and uh, some of the things he's most well known for are illustrating children's books, as well as designing a couple of watches. Christophe, welcome. Thank you. Very excited to be here, uh, Ariel. I've seen your name a number of times proudly mentioned by Mr. Jones Watches, because you have done at least four maybe more different watches with them so far. Talk a little bit about getting into wristwatch design. I I really felt it was really an accident uh, that I started doing this. Um, I just finished a book and I think it was 2019 um, and won a couple of awards uh, for that book. So I... Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I had a little confidence, which is good because I'm not the most confident person uh, out there. And I was following Mr. Jones' watches, was really in love with what they did. And the confidence gave me um, just enough energy to send out an email to uh, Crispin Jones, who is the founder of uh, Mr. Jones' watches, and tell him, hey, I'm this person, I just won this and this award. Um, Could I, like, design a watch for you? Um, And That's pretty bold. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's not normally not what I do. Um, and he said, yeah, go ahead. We'll see if it works out. And I, I remember this being just uh, one or two days before I took a trip to uh, Bulgaria. But I was, oh, I was really excited to start working on those watches. So I drew a couple of watch designs on the airplane. Um, and those designs, designs include a perfectly useless afternoon and a perfectly useless morning. So those and were the first two. Those were the first two, and also okay, the first so two released. There's a lot to unpack here, and now I want to talk a little bit about your education. Now, yeah. I have been privileged to bring a number of people on the superlative show who are watch designers. And what I find so intellectually rewarding is that most watch designers that I've spoken to have a completely different educational background. Mm-hmm. There's always an artistic element, don't get me wrong, but how they get to saying, I designed a watch, not only is, like you said, by accident, but the skills that they have, very random from, you know, some traditional artistic techniques to building things to music uh, to many different types of disciplines. So let's talk a little bit about your creation as an artist. What was your education? What did you go to school uh, to do in terms of art? Well, I studied graphic design in Lucas School of Arts. It's a master's degree which I finished in, uh, I think, 2005. And where, where is the school? Is this, you're, you're in Belgium? Yes, I'm in Belgium. Okay. And uh, the school was in Ghent. Uh, okay. well, it's, it's still in Ghent. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it was when I really finished school that I thought, well, I chose the wrong profession. I want to be an illustrator. I, I want to make children's books. Would you explain little... to people who don't really know the difference uh, how a graphic designer illustrator's work is quite distinct, distinctive uh, from one another? That's a difficult question, actually, because there, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences, differences also. I think what, what is maybe the biggest difference is that in, in, as an illustrator, you are always working with, with a narrative, with a story. But every graphic designer would probably tell you the same thing. But the, the narrative is the most important thing as an illustrator, con- uh, according to me. And I think for me, this is the, the big difference between the two. Um, there's a lot of room to tell a story, to express one, two or more feelings as an illustrator, which is not always possible as a designer, as a graphic designer. Is there anything different about the tools? Of course, there's, you know, using traditional medium, drawing, painting, whatnot. And of course, there's digital ones. But do illustrators today and graphic designers more or less use the same tools? Or do they use very different tools, whether they're physical tools or software tools? I think both. I think 
everything starts on paper, whether you're uh, illustrating or making a graphic design. Um, but then things start to mix up. As a graphic designer, I think you're more drawn to Photoshop, Illustrator and Design. It's also possible for me to use as an Illustrator, but I use now as a digital tool, tool uh, Procreate on, on an iPad Pro mostly, um, which is not um, a graphic design tool. It's, it's very similar to paper, actually. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. And I, I always find it fascinating. I have you know, a, a childhood set of experiences doing art. Mm-hmm. And as I got a little older, I saw that tablets came out, you know, the Wacom tablets. And, and then, of course, the proliferation of the, the basically software um, palettes where you no longer limited by colors or pens. It's really just about how good of a stylus and pad that you had. And I saw this interesting shift. And now I see a further shift into three-dimensional, <clears throat> uh, you know, graphic design. I you know, as an adult right now, I know very little bit about the modern software. I am horrible with Illustrator, but I'm so fascinated how the intersection of the tools and the art form go together. And I believe that this tool-based relationship to the to the job, which is graphic designer, illustrator, artist, is why there's such an intersection with watches, right? Any type of tool appreciating profession is going to somehow see something in watches, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I try to use, uh, I have only been drawing digitally since uh, 2019, uh, actually. And, um, and you I held tried, out. Good yeah, for you. I held out a lot. Um, because I think, I believe it's very important to, to learn the tactile experience on paper. Yeah, um, I have to agree. And I do draw the same way on my iPad than I do on paper. I use the same digital uh, counterparts of materials. Uh, I use the pencil, I use uh, ink, paint, uh, and I work the same old-fashioned way. Um, I think you could really like make the equation of, of, of uh, with with um, the, the the acoustic guitar and the electric guitar. It's it's you still have to play guitar. You still need to, need to know how to play guitar, but the your box filled with tricks is a little bigger on the electric guitar. It's the same thing right. with, with digital drawing. That's a good analogy. I, I like that. Now, let's go back to you designing a watch. My question mm-hmm. is, how long were you interested in watches before you ever, you know, did your first watch dial on paper? Or was it the type of thing where you weren't really into watches and you're like, this is an idea? Talk about your status as a watch enthusiast prior to ever doing a design. Oh, there was no uh, interest in watches whatsoever. Oh, I um, yeah, so, so I, was, I was a bit worried about uh, this interview today because I don't really have that much to tell about watches. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> and uh, I, I actually want to keep it this way too because, you know, Mr. Jones, they, they make very unusual watches, unusual watch yeah. designs. And I think what keeps them fresh is that they work with designers that don't know how a watch looks like. Actually, when I started drawing for them, Crispin asked me, should I send over some technical details? I said, please don't, because everything you learn, everything you know about technicalities, about um, certain watch brands and their their history will be limiting to me. Uh, I will think of all those historical references or those technical details, and it will block, somehow block my artistic ability to to design something fresh and yeah you need to have i call it having artistic blinders on you can't be distracted because then accidentally you could accidentally be influenced and sometimes you can't control this and when you really want to be original you want to avoid being influenced absolutely uh so it's not that i'm not interested in the watch design uh, or in the watch community i really am but i want to keep i want to stay very far away from that it's it's more or less the same with my books when i started out Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I and I want to talk more about your books later. That's definitely an important topic. But yeah. when it comes to design, I, I have to continue on the topic because, okay, maybe at first when you're designing watches, you're like, I don't want to be inspired. I don't want to be influenced. I'm doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. But now that you've done a few, you can't help but notice others and now have an opinion. And my question is, based upon the opinion that you've now developed, what are some other watch styles that you just happen to like? You just happen to think that's well done or that's pretty or that's legible, or what has caught your eye now in the in the in the several years which has uh, has as you know ha- gone by since you first started doing watch design. 
Well, it would have been nice to give this really interesting uh, answer to your question now. But, you know, keeping myself blind is something I consider very important. So okay. there, you went, there, you went really, there really aren't a lot of watches <laughs> that I that I know, uh, or even brands when I when I see something about watches, because the in- Instagram really gives me a lot of commercials, a lot of advertising on watches. Sure. I really ignore them. Uh, I don't want to have a deep look. Um, I really want to stay fresh. So it's, it's been you know, four watches I- now. And I want to make the fifth one as I want to approach it with the same freshness as I approached my first design. I think that's a great um, perspective for sure. And I, again, all I can do is validate that because I think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of utility there. There is a lot of people who have the opinion that the best thing to do is more or less what people want. And what people want, you need to look across the aisle and see what other people are doing and then make a small variation on it. And that's what you're doing because what you're trying to do is make what people want. But that's not what every artist wants to do. Of course, to be successful, people need to enjoy it. But having something meaningful is is probably the most important. But then there's sort of the ego that comes in. And that's where the originality part comes in. It's like, it, it's not even so much like a commercial thing. Like people might still buy it. But again, I want your opinion here. But if you accidentally do something that others did, it would it would hurt you so much to believe that someone thought, oh, this artist is is trying to copy this other thing, even though that's not what you're trying to do, right? Yeah, I, I think I have the lovely people from Mr. Jones Watches as a backup there because they do have a lot of knowledge about watches. And when I yeah. present something to them, they will definitely say, for, oh, this remembers me. Uh, this reminds me of this or this watch. It hasn't happened. So uh, I'm really happy about that. Okay, so I, again, I want to go back to the story where you solicited Crispin Jones of Mr. Mm-hmm. Jones Watch and said, uh, Mr. Jones, I like what you do. I want to make a watch for you. You weren't interested in watches, but you were interested enough to solicit someone uh, who you felt, you know, probably could say yes. I agree, you targeted mm-hmm. the right brand. But out of all the things you could have done, what inspired you to do a watch? It's a real challenge. You're not the first designer who they, to accept the call of the watch dial. Like it is a thing. Mm-hmm. But where did you hear that making a watch was a particular challenge and also potentially quite rewarding? Well, the only thing uh, I was thinking was well, it would be really cool to be able to wear your own watch. Okay. Um, that's it. That was a drive that put me uh, in contact with Mr. Jones. Um, that that's it doesn't it doesn't require more than that. So let's talk no, about no. the first watch that yeah. you did, which is the perfectly useless afternoon. I reviewed the larger, the XL version of it um, mm-hmm. on a blog to watch. The mechanical version. There's also a quartz version. There's been at least three or four different versions of this mm-hmm. so far. In addition to the evening version. <laughs> which um, is, again, just that. It's called The Perfectly Useless Evening, and it has some different color tones and things like that. Mm-hmm. I want to describe this watch for people. I think it's very clever. It depicts the motif of a swimming pool. And in the swimming pool, as you might experience with certain um, Olympic pools, there's, these, there's this grid. But the lines are wavy as though you're looking at it through water, mm-hmm. which is such an interesting effect and um, one of the first really clever things that I saw on this watch. Now, to tell the time, you have hands, but they're actually discs, and on the discs are two different um, pictures. Uh, one is the hour hand, and one is the minute hand, and and one of them has a, uh, I, I, I guess, a rubber duck, a duck toy, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. that moves around as one indicator, and the other, which is larger, which I'm guessing is the hour indicator, is a person sitting in an inner tube, um, looking at, I believe, uh, actually, I'm, I have the watch in front of me. It looks like it's a little book. It's and it's not even clear, man, woman, I don't even think it matters. <laughs> um, but there's just, the, and then it circles around the dial, you know, the, the, the positions of the person in the inner tube and the, in the pool and the duck move around as it indicates the time. It's just enough detail to be artistic. <clears throat> it's minimalist enough that you can read the time. Uh, would you say that I did a good job describing it? What would you add, Christoph? It's a perfect job. Uh, well, uh, what I found really important is that you shouldn't be able to see whether it's a man or a woman. Um, and there's even a skin tone that's not really describable. Uh, he or she is not white or black. It's something in between. I found it really important to have this, this person be as, um, I don't relatable know what word is. Yes, yes, as relatable as possible. Um, what could maybe be added is that I use the swimming pool tiles uh, as a way to 
help for the you, indicators. Uh, for the indicators as a way yeah. to help you read time. Time. I want it to be really easy to read time once you know how the watch works. Uh, actually, reading time on this watch, uh, I wanted to have people experience this as something that is almost hidden inside the design. And the, the design also started with a narrative. It didn't start, start with the idea, let's, let's make a swimming pool. It started with a, a quote uh, by Lin Yutan, a Chinese philosopher, um, artist, teacher, and a lot of things. Um, and the quote is, if you can spend a perfectly useless day, afternoon, in a perfectly useless matter, you have learned how to live. It's something I heard when I was still studying. So it's, it's a long time ago. Right. And I really know this quote by heart because I find it so important to, to spend, to waste time, to be able to waste time. Sort of like the value of unstructured activity. Really, really. Yeah. The value of doing nothing. It's something we don't do a lot. Now, Mr. Jones as a brand has had a lot of watches with a message in it, right? And mm -hmm. Crispin Jones himself has had messages, impactful ones. What exactly is the message here? Now, you said that the narrative is important to you, and yet maybe it is for people to sort of pursue perfectly useless afternoons. But talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about the greater, you know, the values that you're trying to convey here. What do you want the world to do now after they've experienced this composition? Well, I guess we, we as people have this weird relationship with time we have uh not the best relationship with with it i guess uh, we are always hasty it's a rat race and every time you need to check your watches it could be a stressy time and i wanted to turn that around and make looking at your watch relaxing checking the time could be something relaxing could be something that makes you feel calm uh, feels you uh, makes you feel comfortable um, that's behind the, the narrative, and it's it's really something I wanted to express with with the design. How difficult was it to come up with that first watch? I mean, once you look at it, it looks simple, but the reality is that getting it just right, putting all the composition together, it is probably so much trial and error. And I'm just curious, what was the design journey like in getting there? Well, mostly a design journey looks like this. You, you take two hours to have a good idea and then another 10 to make it look like you made it in five minutes. Um, that's valuable for most of my designs, but not for the useless afternoon watch. Uh, this is really drawn on the airplane and it's, it's made yeah, probably in 10 minutes. Uh, I have two versions of it. I have my sketchbook with me here. Um, one was with two swimmers, but I didn't find that very good. And then I came up with a rubber ducky and drew something in my sketchbook that's actually almost identical to the final design. It also went really fast with Mr. Jones watches. I submitted this design. I think it was June, um, probably the end of June or maybe early July. And they already released it. I think three or four weeks later because it was, uh, oh, wow. it was feeling good. It was a summery watch. Yeah. And they wanted to have this summery vibe, not in uh, October or November. They wanted to release it super fast. Do you have a personal interest in swimming? What, what does this say to you? I mean, obviously there's a lot of ways of spending a perfectly useless afternoon. <clears throat> Why for you, I guess, relaxing in a pool. I mean, it's funny because I have a watch I designed that's also swimming themed, very mm -hmm. different, but I also have an affinity for swimming. I can, mm -hmm. I, I, it, for me, it's also a good, uh, uh, you know, waste of time, so to say. So yeah. talk, I'm just curious about your, your personal relationship with swimming. It's not a, not a big one. I do enjoy swimming, especially with my uh, children, but it's more, the watch is more about the floating, uh, and this is something I really like. If you can, on a summer day, when, when there's a little sun, uh, you, you, you are able to float on the water. You, you, the little movements that the tube right. in this case makes, it's, it's, it's something I really like. Uh, it's, okay. it's, it, it, it adds something more to the relaxation. I mean, I've pointed this out in the past that when a watch is able to remind you of a experience mm -hmm. or an activity that you like, like that's successful. Like if you give that a feeling to the consumer, you're going to sell watches. Yeah, yeah. And you have to start by doing it for yourself. And the trick 
is what means something to you and the other person. And you talk a little bit about wanting to make sure that there's certain ambiguities in terms of the person. It could be anyone. This, of course, is part of that process of making it relatable. But I just want to point out the challenge of taking something which means which has meaning to you as the artist and translating it into a generic enough message mm-hmm. that other people might be like, oh, I see what you did there. That's awesome. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I talk a little bit about what you go through as an artist. Again, maybe going to graphic design school helped train you to always think about others. But talk a little bit about having to make something that means something to you also means something to others. That's kind of difficult because uh, I only, I start out with, with no audience in mind except myself now at age 41 and myself at age uh, eight or nine. This is this is for a book, but it's also for a watch. I just want to make Explain something that. that I would like of, or would have liked as a kid and that I still like now. And this way, I think it becomes playful, but it still has, it's playful because you can like it as a child. Um, but it's, it also has this, it's maybe a big word, but this philosophical, philosophical undertone um, that you get when you grow older. And I didn't really know about the watch community back then. I think it would have really blocked me because I would have thought, oh, all those guys are like those really expensive uh, watches <laughs> and things that would really, really not have made a perfectly useless afternoon if I had known about the watch audience. Um, now I have learned during time that even people who appreciate, uh, let's say, a $300,000 watch will also appreciate a perfectly useless afternoon uh, because of its, uh, I, I don't know, because of its creativity, because of the way it's made in London by Mr. Jones, uh, by this great team that does everything to, to make you a great watch, but also have a great experience while buying it, while wearing it. Um, if it needs repairs, there they are there for you. Um, so I think it's the whole package that really works, uh, considering these watches. Well, you know, Christoph, you got lucky in that you found Mr. Jones Watches, a company that happens to sell products for what they need to be and not too much more expensive than that. Mm-hmm. And there's an accessibility that just happens to be built in to the brand. Most of your colleagues who have the call of the watch and want to design something are not really approaching companies that sell watches at affordable price points and have to jump through a lot of different types of hoops. Um, You know, you, of course, recognize that you were fortunate in your ability to connect with a company that was not only open-minded, but that was priced for a mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's priced for a mainstream. And still, I I hear from a lot of people, whoa, those watches are expensive. Um, Really? Yes, when you, when you have the, the afternoon mechanical or enjoy the ride, they're like uh, about 600 euros, um, which is a lot for somebody who doesn't know the prices of watches, who, who isn't really into watches. But I have the feeling that these products, these watches of Mr. Jones, they appeal to an audience that finds these watches rather cheap. Uh, I have seen them appear in uh, blogs that talk about how to uh, make watch collection with only a thousand dollars. But I also it also appeals to people for whom this is a big investment and who normally don't buy watches. So I think the price point is is is, is really nice, really good. They're yeah. affordable enough for somebody who wants something special and finds this expensive, and also for somebody who has the money and for whom this is a cheap watch. No, it's, it's, I'm really gl- glad that you pointed it out. And mm-hmm. just so you know, on my end, for a very long time, I've been advocating to the, you know, the more accomplished collectors out there that there's all these great watches out there at lower price points. Mm-hmm. Yes, they may not necessarily have all the materials or features, but they're very well made and they're cool. And you can cycle them in to wearing with, you know, other much more expensive ones. And I'd say that I've largely been successful in that. And companies like Mr. Jones watches, again, you don't necessarily know this, but we've on a blog to watch have been covering them really prior to any other watch collector publication. It's mm-hmm. been something that we've just, cause I've, I've reached out to Crispin myself <laughs> in a different way than you did and say, Hey, I gotta, I gotta cover your, 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 your stuff. I want to go and talk a little bit about 
you being an illustrator and some of the children's books and things like that. Before I do that, I want to come up with a word that I think you'll agree with, and that's intuitive. Uh, I imagine that if you're trying to design something for the eight-year-old version of you, uh, mm -hmm. like most eight-year-olds, they need things that are relatively intuitive to grasp. And I think that you were, again, fortunate and lucky that good watch dials need to be intuitive. You shouldn't have to explain too much in terms of how to read it. And maybe that drive, which again was about appealing to an eight-year-old, also allowed you to think about legibility and the intuitiveness of what am I seeing here? Of course, there's still art watches, so there's that. But uh, would you agree that that had a big part to do with maybe some of the success of your designs? Yeah, definitely, definitely. What I have seen uh, two or three years ago, there was this YouTuber called PewDiePie. He has like many, many followers. Um, okay, yeah, the and video he was, again, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I don't know much about him, so I, I'm, I'm probably wrong. I've never seen it, so. but he's get, he was in the news for being very popular until he was yeah. uh, dethroned by someone. But he would yeah. play video games. Anyways, go on. Yeah, well, he talked about watches he saw on uh, TikTok, I think. And then he saw Perfectly Useless Afternoon. He, he talked about it for about three seconds. But he reacted, he responded like a child to it. He said, oh, what is this? Oh, I get it. It's cool. And that's that's exactly what I wanted to do with the watch, that you don't need explanation, that you get some sort of a feeling with it, and that you grasp how you read time on it. And I think this this works, and, and it's definitely intuitive. I mean, that is so important, because I think what you are up against, and you don't know it, <clears throat> but it's so many art watches <clears throat> that are artistic, yes, but are illegible. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And this is a real problem um, because you want to be able to first be a good watch and then add an artistic layer on top of that. And that's really what I try to explain to designers who ask me, you know, what are some of the fundamentals? It can't be beautiful first. It has to be a good tool first. And then after you make it a good tool, you can add a layer of beauty on top of it. And I think that that's where the sort of the industrial design and the artistic design um, the priorities sort of have to come into play. And people that are purely artistic designers, you know, they don't always think of the industrial side, right? Yeah, I, and I think to me it has to be both. I think it has to be legible, but not legible first and not legible second, but it has to be legible. And it has to be this artistic narrative that you bring at the same time. Well, I'm not talking about a desirable wristwatch. I'm just saying a clock in terms of it yeah. being taken seriously or a watch being taken seriously, it has to solve that purpose. I mm -hmm. guess what I should say is you don't see people wearing illegible watches very often. Yeah. They don't end up on wrists. People just seem to not choose them, I'm guessing, because they wear it a little bit like, that's pretty, but I can't use it. Mm -hmm. And so... My judgment of people's wearing preferences through many years of observing people is that people tend to choose watches that are legible and beautiful. So you're right, but oftentimes there's beautiful things on there out there that are not legible and they're they're not chosen. And so I guess the easiest thing for me to say is you have to do one first and the other. But again, that's just a matter of semantics. They just both need to be in there. You're absolutely right. Okay. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, so again, you're agreeing. He's nodding his head. I, I can see yeah. the video. You, you can't. Yeah. Hi, this is Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message about eBay. I visit eBay daily and have been relying on eBay to learn about and acquire watches for more than 20 years. Did you know that you can now buy watches directly from brands or their authorized dealers on eBay? Timepieces coveted by watch enthusiasts from brands like Zodiac, Loco, Parallel, and more are part of eBay's Certified by Brand program. Here's how it works. Luxury names are partnering with eBay to bring brand new and pre-owned watches and other luxury accessories directly to you. Certified by Brand includes a minimum one-year factory warranty for watches and offers an unprecedented selection of new and used watches directly from the source all with the peace of mind you can expect from eBay. Visit ebay.com slash certified by brand for more information. So let's talk about books a little bit. You talk about narrative. <clears throat> what is different about telling stories to a children than an adult? Uh, not much, because I believe a good children's book is also uh, something that you can read and enjoy as an adult. 
And I think what is common in all my books is that they are also made for an adult. And there are layers there or storylines that are easy to miss as a child, but not as an adult. And also the other way around. Uh, so I make, I really make books also for the 41 year old me and the eight year old me. It's all about the narrative. It's all about the story. And I don't think a book is so much of a difference than, than a watch. I think they're more or less the same thing. They tell a story, but one story just works better in a book and the other works better on your wrist. What's the first story that you tried to tell in book form? Um, it's, it's a book called uh, Nooit is voor altijd. It's, uh, I would translate it as Never is Forever. And it's a, um, it's a very, very personal story that I, I really need to give some background about that. I told you about when I finished my studies in, in Ghent that I wanted to be a children's book illustrator. Yeah. And I immediately started working on a book. Um, but I also had to start making money. So I also started as an art director in, a, in an agency back then. Student became a creative director there and really didn't have time for that book. Uh, although I had a book deal by then, it uh, it ended up crashing because I really I couldn't work on that book and I thought well this this is it I tried I didn't make it so I uh, have to be happy that I tried it but uh, it won't work out for me the book dream and um, I think this was 2005 2006 and in 2008 something uh, really uh, important happened in my life and um, that changed everything uh, until this day. Um, Two friends of mine uh, got married and my wife and me gave them uh, a short trip to Germany as a present. Okay, nice. We were uh, driving to Germany and just just seconds before we, or minutes before we arrived at our destination, we got hit by a car. Uh, it was a really big accident. We were oh thrown, I think, 15 meters away. And everything changed, you know. Um, I still remember the, the 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 crushing sound of the metal to this day. It's really, it's something I I will never forget. Uh, I was the first to get out of the car to check everyone. Um, I thought my friend, uh, I was sitting in the passenger seat in front. My friend who was driving, he looked okay, uh, although I could see the door on his side was like his his leg was kind of uh, folded in the door. I saw my wife uh, who was sitting behind me. She was really, uh, she was acting really weird. And, uh, afterwards we, we heard she had a major concussion and I saw his wife who was sitting behind him, um, still sleeping. So I thought, Oh, everything's okay, uh, with her. She, she has the least damage of all. But when I, uh, turned around, I, I didn't hear anything. And I turned around and there were two helicopters over there. There were three ambulances there was a this big red fire truck that i didn't hear coming and that made me realize how severe how big this accident has been then i took another look at my friend's wife and then i started to see that she wasn't sleeping i i, I watched her dying and i didn't realize it at that moment oh my um, gosh. that was uh well it, it's it, i can continue talking about this but uh, it, it's, it's a long story how we ended up in different hospitals. Um, and I got a phone call a couple of hours later from her doctor saying she died, uh, which confirmed the, the thing I was afraid for. So the years following were really hard. I think I, I, I think I experienced those years on autopilot, uh, something like that. Sure. Don't have a lot of memories from then, but it also, and also, like it confirmed the cliche that to me that you really have to do something with your life. I was 26 back then. It's, it's not the age where you lose friends normally. And it really made me realize that I have to, if I have dreams, I have to at least try them a couple of times to make them reality. So I made a book uh, called Never Is Forever, and it's about death. I wanted to somehow work with the story with the thing i experienced but not not that much that it's about a car crash and so it's a book about a, a boy who loses his sister and and he's 
the entire book he's he's trying to answer the question the question what is death whereas my sister now um it it also stays unanswered in the book but the book is about his quest to um really learn to live with his sister's death like i made this book to learn to live with my friend's death um so this was the first book um was a really difficult one to make but in the end i'm really proud of it and i'm also proud that this has been my way to to deal with her death um did the book feel good was it a successful therapy for me it was a really successful therapy uh it didn't make me get over it i don't really believe in getting over something because it feels like you you are forgetting something it's not like that but it really made me think uh, reflect more about what happened and give place to a couple of things um so it, it's it's when i see the book I, i'm looking at right at it right now um i see a lot of things that i would do different today i i just celebrated my 10 years and as an illustrator now and uh, i draw right. differently i work differently um but this book i wouldn't i would never change it's it's um it's sort of a it's sort of a, a border between the life I had and the life I had before and the life I had after the accident. So it's I, like I have I've to lived ask, the two lives. Mr. Jones, one of the you know the watch that got him famous was his Memento Mori watch, the mm-hmm. the one that has the hands that say, "Remember, you will die." For some people, that is uplifting. For some people, it's very threatening. Where, where do you fall on that? What is your own relationship to the Remember You Will Die watch and this concept of memento mori? I think it's it's a very joyful message because it's so important. I also made the watch Enjoy the Ride. I don't know if you know this one with the Ferris wheel. I haven't seen it personally, but I, I've seen pictures. It's very beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's also about enjoying life. It's also about enjoying the moment, enjoying the ride we're all having here, even if it has uh life has its downsides so i think the memento mori is it's it's an important message i i think the whole experience i just talked about has made me it has made me more humble it has made me more um reflective it has made me more open to people uh, so it has also done good things to me um and what what's the most one of the most important things is that, that i don't worry about the small frustrations in life, or I try not to worry about the small frustrations in life anymore because they are really not that big of a deal. That's 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 true, and obviously, probably good as a parental role model. I have kids as well, and I mm-hmm. I know how sometimes kids make a big deal, and what they want you to do as an adult is be like, "No, it's not a big deal. Relax." Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you? But ever it can tried also to be, be annoying for someone when you say that too much. It's not a big deal. Relax. They find you annoying. <laughs> But, well, yeah. it's all about the way you say it, of course. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They need to uh, work on that. You know, it, 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 you have to take them seriously, but they want, they want to believe that you have the solution to the thing that they're, they're scared of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My question next is, is about children's watches. And, you know, you've done children's books, you've done some adult watches, which, again, you could wear as a kid. They're very playful. But if you had to do some children's watches, which you may do... Uh, what would those be like? What are some of the stories you'd like to tell to a child through a wristwatch? Ah, I have no idea. I don't think they, they would be so much of a difference than my other watches. Probably they would be cheaper to make them more affordable, uh, to to not make parents scared to give them to a child. Um, <laughs> but I think it will also be a watch that has uh, some important narrative, something that's important to me at least. Um, like my, my daughter, she's she's five now. And we were in Prague a couple of weeks, months ago. Um, and from a friend that lives there, she she, she actually uh, was gifted a watch. And it's this koala bear with the, with a wristwatch inside of it. I don't like it uh, because it's, it's it's so big. And, and uh, well, she likes it, of course. But the koala bear <laughs> is, is, is bigger than the watch itself. And it, it takes away all the attention and there's no interaction actually uh, initially between the the dial between the watch between the hands and the koala it's just like it's an ornament it's decoration and i don't like to decorate things um i think as an illustrator you really have the job to tell story through uh through a work of art 
and uh, it, it would be yeah, I, I don't know what what it would be about but I don't I think actually perfectly useless afternoon could have a kids version why not what would be the kids version of that it's you know it would be some slightly different activity what you know I, I think of Calvin and Hobbes right when I think about yeah, artwork yeah. and kids you know Calvin you know hanging out lazily on, on the summer what what would be your your choice of an activity that would be kids around. I think it could, could actually be the same thing with with a kid laying in the, in the pool because that's also how I approach a book. Um, I take children very seriously, and I I'm really afraid to make something that looks childish because if something is childish, it's also not made for a kid. Uh, you have to take them seriously. That's why my first book is about death. It's a children's yeah. book. Um, but children also experience death. They also have parents or grandparents who die, even brothers and sisters who are in hospitals and die. So, oh, yeah. so they're, they're just little grown-ups. Um, yeah. And I think they have a, a, a much broader look at life than, than we as adults do. We have been, uh, you know, we have been uh, confronted with a couple of things that, has made, that have, have made us uh, what we are today. But you can talk to a child about just about anything. And I think talking through a watch is the same thing. So it it can be a person laying in the pool. It can be an adult in the pool. It can be a child, which will they probably relate to more. But I don't think it has to be a typical activity like, uh, let's say, playing with a doll or whatever. I think this this could also work for a child, the pool setting. There's a lot of options. I mean, I've again, in my curiosity for timepieces, decided to review some children's watches from time to time on a blog to watch. And I've, you know, there's been a couple of interesting ones from others like you who are professional designers that have a concept. And I just love it. You know, my my daughter's still too young. My son's five and he's been given a couple of watches, nothing too expensive. And it's really interesting for me to see his reaction. He doesn't wear a watch on a regular basis. He is interested in some watches. He seems to think that it'll be this thing he does as an adult. But I am fascinating, fascinated by seeing his exposure to this world. I never had this exposure to all these different watches growing up. You know, he's <laughs> he's going to have seen like incredibly artistic watches, including yours, you know, around on a regular basis what he will make of all this because all he's yeah. seeing is like the top narrative, right? He's seeing like the the best watches. Is he going to be someone who will appreciate this or will he just <laughs> lose interest and pick up something? I don't know almost. It's sort of like I just have to sit back and wait, right? Yeah, he's, he's looking at a very slow cartoon. Um, it, it's a movement, it's an animation. And if you can't read time yet, I think it's very interesting to see it change once in a while. Let's talk a little bit about some of the feedback that you've received from the watch community. Um, you know, there's the perfectly useless afternoon, enjoy the ride, a perfectly useless evening. There's also uh, the perfectly useless morning, which is a slightly different take and sort of fall themed, which is, is, is quite pretty. Mm-hmm. What has been some of the feedback from the community that you are now taking into maybe some of the next decisions you make? Because I hope you that you'll make more watches. And of course, you have your own feelings, your own inspiration. But of course, you know, the feedback the community gets, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a different type of inspiration because it helps you. It helps validate one direction or maybe say another direction is merited. Talk a little <clears> bit about some of the feedback and how you've incorporated it into your process. Well, I, I try not to get too involved with feedback. I do read feedback, but uh, I waited a long time um, to read feedback on my watches. Same with my books. Um, and one day I realized that there were tens, uh, of people making YouTube videos about a perfectly useless afternoon because I heard it from other people. Hey, have you seen your watch on YouTube? People are making videos on this. So I watched a couple of those. I read a couple of reviews and, um, the professional reviews, professional feedback, uh, like from you and other watch, uh, how do you call them? Watch people, um, have been mostly very positive um and from people responding reacting to those articles online there have been like two ways i think most most is is, is positive or very positive people really liking or not liking it um either way how it looks or what the message is or both and also people saying oh what is this it's a piece of junk it's a perfectly useless watch 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I've read that a couple of times. Or, or people saying, yeah, how do you read time on this? Um, and I, well, this, this really doesn't hurt. It's, 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 it's actually lovely to read this, this clash in opinions and people then start uh, making arguments about why it's this good or what this. So it, it, I don't like feedback to, to become part of my design process. I really like uh, to stay away from it, reading it in small parts, small uh, gasps, um, not to take too much of it in it because I think it would be, uh, I think if you read too much, it can be suffocating, whether it be good or bad feedback. I think all feedback is actually good. You can do something with it. But um, I don't try to make this something that, becomes important in decisions that I make when I'm designing something. Okay, that make, that makes sense. What about with Mr. Jones and their team? Because you're not a watchmaker and there are certain things like the movements, uh, you know, the positions of things, the case size, certain colors and stuff like that. How do you collaborate with them on that? Do you find that enjoyable? Because I think that, you know, you have a bright future in, in doing more of this. I want to see a lot more Christoph uh, DeVos designed watches I'm just curious about how you are, you know, at least developing because you, you want to do so different things all the time. And yes, to mm-hmm. a degree, you need to work into a vacuum, but also you need a feedback cycle, a loop that allows you to improve. And that's, you know, that's how you make better watches next time, which is a slightly different calculus than with art, because arguably you can, yeah, you, maybe you can make art you like more and more, but you know, the, the ultimate, you know, when you're making art isn't to improve upon, it's to make new expressions. So you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I when I um, when I'm working on something, whether it be a watch or something else, uh, well, let's talk about the watches. My first round of feedback is with my wife and kids. I want, just want to see how they respond to it, which is not always what I expected to it to be. Like my wife really didn't like a perfectly useless afternoon. Uh, now she does, um, and then the second round is is sending it to Mr. Jones watches. And I really appreciate working together with them. They have the great feedback, and uh, they also they look at this. They look at a, a design at it as a team. So it's not just Crispin or two or three people. Uh, I have the feeling that every one has something to say about a watch design. They have a really great feeling about this, and um, collaborating collaborating with them has been uh, has been a joy from start to finish. So, as I mentioned, I don't know that much about watches or mechanics. So when, when they say, let's make this one like uh, enjoy the ride in this big case, the mechanical watch, I really have to look up on Google what is a mechanical watch and, um, and say, oh, yeah, it sounds good. And pretend that I know everything uh, about what, what, what they are saying. Um, but they make suggestions about material, about color and... Um, I take them in, in a very high value and it really feels like a collaboration um, because um, I make a design decision. They react to that with materials or suggestions and then I react to that and I can say I like it or I don't like something and then they try it out. We make prototypes. They send it over to here to Belgium really fast um, so that I get to see the watch and feel it and experiences. It's It's a lot better to respond to a prototype than to a picture of that prototype. Absolutely. Um, so I really like the way we can work together. I've been there a couple of times uh, in London. It's not too, too far uh, from here. It is a bit uh, difficult, uh, or it has been, become more difficult since Brexit. Now you need the, the international passport, and it feels like you are uh, you have to do a lot to get inside the country it's, uh, it's, yeah. uh, with the check-in procedure and everything. Uh, but I like going over there and seeing those people working and seeing them seeing them evolve. I think when I started out with the afternoon watch, I think they were with six to eight people working there. And now I think it's about 40, 41 people in four years of time. So they are growing fast. And I think they, they are experiencing some growing pains, which are actually actually luxury paints. Uh, like my watches have been sold out very frequently for the, fast, the last year. 
So it's not nice when someone wants to buy something and sees it sold out, but it's also it's also good. It means they are reaching absolutely a, a larger audience. Um, so I, and I think they are handling it very well. Uh, this growing, but I can only guess this is really difficult for them because everything is assembled, hand assembled in London. You have to find the right people for that. The last time I was there, I tried to assemble just putting an hour hand to a watch. I really couldn't do it. It's so difficult. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And you have to, you, you have then the things like dust. Uh, when I was doing it, I think uh, the watch would have been filled with dust. Uh, so it, it's so much, so many things to consider when you're assembling something that really not every everyone can do this. I was visiting the Mr. Jones uh, watch facility um i think it was less than a year ago i was there and mm-hmm. i saw exactly what you're talking about they're growing and they need to grow again um they've been selling out of a lot of stuff uh, i think that what makes me feel good and comfortable is when i speak to crispin he doesn't want to go the traditional route of increasing prices mm-hmm. becoming more luxury he's very dedicated to a an accessible price point and having a broad range of products, especially those that don't alienate the customers that have made the brand um, as successful as it is. So I agree with mm-hmm. you, they're, they're on a the right track. But I want to talk about a slightly different type of application for your dials, and that is for smartwatches. And I think that you'll agree that your particular aesthetic would probably fit smartwatches very well. And Yes, not all platforms are open, but you know you have the Garmin's of the world and Samsung's and the Android that mm-hmm. allow you to have dials. Um, some, you know, some of them are, of course, you can you can people can pay for them. You can make a little money that way. Have you ever thought about taking your skills and making smartwatch dials that people can buy um, and expanding a little bit to that area and experimenting? Because again, it's it's, it's another market for what you do well. Yeah, I have had uh, that question before, but it wouldn't feel good to go this way with with a design, because one of the things I really learned to appreciate in, a, in an analog watch is it's it's an old technology, and uh, it still holds up today. Uh, nothing much, as far as I know, with my limited knowledge about watches, but nothing much has really changed in the essence of what a watch is. And, you know, these watches that the afternoon watch, the other watches I've made, they will stand the test of time when, if, if, if we look 10, 10 years further, people will still be wearing these. Uh, when you have an Apple watch or a Samsung or whatever, the watch you wear today will be hopelessly dated in 10 years. And that's the thing I really don't like about, uh, the smartwatch. I don't also like the fact that the dials or the designs are so easily swappable because it makes me, it's, it's the same experience you have when you scroll on Instagram, the endless scrolling, scrolling thing. You can also do it with a watch now, with a watch design. And I think it, it's making the design feel less um, important, less valuable. Um, so that it's really a big reason for me not to do it. And the other reason would be that I really enjoy working with Mr. Jones so much that it just wouldn't feel right to to go to another manufacturer and work for them. Uh, oh, I, I, I think what you're saying makes sense. I'm thinking a little bit as a futurist here, and I can mm-hmm. see you as you having an exclusive relationship with Mr. Jones to make your physical watches, yet you can experiment with designs in a very you know sort of low-risk way and you can mm-hmm. go to them and be like, the ones that work will make into physical watches. How about that? So there's a, I, I'm just saying there's an argument to be made. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to think a little bit business, but I did go to school to help artists make money going into entertainment law. So I, I do understand some of the rationale uh, that, that goes to play here. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting way of leveraging an up-and-coming market. I mean, I've been talking about the smartwatch style market for almost a decade now and seen it very, very gradually, gradually progress. And what it's come down to is a deficiency of both economic incentive, meaning mar- marketplaces where someone can make good money on this, but more importantly, skill. Just mm-hmm. because anyone can program a watch dial doesn't mean it looks good. 
So because, again, as you know, in a lot of artistic things in the internet, the barrier to entry is tiny, right? All anyone needs to do as an illustrator these days is start an Instagram account and be like, look, I can copy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. right? Like, to a, to an average person, that looks very impressive. Of course, that's not a lot of skill. People do that in school. But that's beside the point. It's easy to put your artistic expressions out there, but it's still difficult, just as difficult ever, to do it well, whether it's illustration or making watch style. So I'm just prophesizing that there will be a time where I think you could make decent money selling high quality uh, watch dials, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, on, on, the, on a smartwatch platform. Yeah, maybe. I, I haven't investigated it. And, and I think what, what would be a worry of me is that it would make also feel the work for Mr. Jones feel less valuable. Like when you design a, a dial for a smartwatch, everything's possible. Um, you only have the limits of your imagination, but I also want to give that same feeling of everything's possible with a, with a mechanical piece, with a mechanical watch. And, um, maybe, I don't know if, if it's a good worry or not, but I think it would like make this, this work for Mr. Jones feel easier or, or less valuable. I don't it's, know. It, does this make sense to you? Absolutely. And what yeah. you're saying is the same thing that many other people have, have said, and they don't want the sense of value in a wristwatch to go down by making it just so easy to replace that aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I completely sympathize with this, but what I also am is a realist, and I know that the, 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 the pace of progress cannot be stopped. As much as we want to say, you know, it was really better back then, there's not really too much we can do about moving forward. So what I try to say is, okay, if the future is going to be this way, let's try to make it as nice as possible. And I'll give you the example. When the Apple Watch first came out in 2014, most of the people in the watch industry were saying, yeah, but what does it mean for the status of the traditional watch? And it was like, you people need to get over yourself. I understand mm -hmm. your argument, but the Apple Watch is only going to get become a bigger and bigger and bigger deal. Your question isn't, is it good or not? Your question is, how do I work within a world that this is now going to be a dominant player? Yeah, right. It's it's the same you know thing I mean? uh, with AI at the moment. Uh, you can be against it, or you can be uh, you can like it, but the truth is you have to live with it. Uh, especially I've still as a never designer. seen AI do a good watch dial that's original. Okay. No, no, not yet. Not going to happen. Look, AI uh -huh. does not come up with original things. It's just a synthesis of things that humans have done before. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But maybe for a lot of people, I hope not. But this will be enough. I don't know. I, again, look, you, you have to trust in what I call the art market. And the art market is dominated by these very small number of people who know what has and hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. Okay? We have to rely on this. I am one of those people in the watch space where I'm like, I know so many watches and I can say this is a good one. Right? There's no automated way of doing it. This is a personality-driven, editorialized mm -hmm. space. And art and wine and cars and fashion and all these things where everyone's trying to have a beautiful one is still going to be dominated by a couple of tastemakers that are mm -hmm. human. Mm -hmm. So I, I really think that, so. that, is, yeah. that is where the saving grace is. Yes, there might be the mainstream that is okay with a copycat design, but mm -hmm. the industries are still led by those snobs who both want to make original things and, so, and who desperately want to see original things. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> that it stays this um, way. We're we're almost out of time, but I want to know, are you working on a new watch dial right now? Always and, and, and not always. Uh, so I, I'm always um, in, in let, let's call it a, like a modus of receiving. Um, but currently I'm working on a new book and a series of three magazines to celebrate my 10 years as an illustrator. Um, I did make a new watch design um, a couple of months ago, but uh, I showed it. I also showed it to Crispin. I liked it at the time, and so did Crispin. But then I, I, uh, I didn't have a lot of time on my hands, and when I revisited the design, I wasn't that happy anymore with it. Neither was Crispin, but definitely will be making uh, more designs in the future. I think that's very healthy to actually say no. Let's not do this. You know, yeah, I think that yeah, yeah. when people see the final product, the composition that you decided that one should be the one I release, they have no idea about all the rejects. And I guess the more they know about the rejects, the more impressive than perhaps <laughs> the final one is going to be. Um, Christoph, yeah. where can people learn more about you on the internet? 
Um, I think the best place to visit me is on my Instagram uh, and my website. Um, I used to have more social media, but I switched to Instagram only because I find it quite distracting to have more uh, media on my hands. Uh, so those are the best places to find me. And don't forget, those for, for those who are listening, you can go to the mrjoneswatch.com website and uh, you can see the various watches that Christoph has designed. Uh, there are the, the, the perfectly useless series. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, enjoy the ride. And it sounds like uh, when, when he and Mr. Jones himself can decide on a new design, there will be more. What an interesting conversation. Uh, this has been the Superlative Podcast with Christoph DeVos. Christoph, thank you so much. Thank you, Ari. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Superlative Podcast. This show relies on support from you, the audience. Please subscribe, review, and share Superlative with your friends. To get the latest watch news and enthusiast commentary, also listen to the Blog to Watch weekly podcast. For show ideas, comments, or business, please contact us at podcasts at blogtowatch.com.